The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 60. Captain DeBridge, Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Next Generation episode, Cause and Effect. Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So, folks, remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on Facebook at facebook.com slash Media. Retweet the show on Twitter, where we're at SQPN. And please leave comments wherever you see it. I really appreciate that. And... uh uh, also, the show is now available on Spotify, so you can listen to The Secrets of Star Trek and all of our shows from StarQuest on Spotify. We should search for SQPN Inc. That's where we're list- how we're listed there. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 60. Captain DeBridge, Spock here. Thank you, so. Surrender is not an option. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. Today we're discussing Next Generation's cause and effect. Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Don? And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Uh, howdy, Dom. Folks, remember to like the secrets. You know, this sounds very. Have we done this? I'm experiencing Nichboch. The feeling I have done this before. I'm experiencing deja vu all over again. <laughs> yeah, y- Yogi Bear is coming up here right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, folks, as as you might guess, we are discussing the time loop episode of the Next Generation, where the <laughs> Enterprise D goes through time loops. Uh, so, this is uh, uh, a what was the day's fifth season episode it's the mm-hmm. 18th episode of the fifth season uh so we're pretty far along in next generation time span and uh if you don't recall the destruction of the enterprise near a distortion of the space-time continuum cause a temporal causality loop to form yeah. trapping the ship and crew in time and forcing them to relive the events that led to their deaths over and over again will they and- escape And this is not the first time we've had a time loop episode. So it's actually something we've seen before on Next Gen. Uh, Back Mm -hmm. in the second season, there was the episode Time Squared, where Picard got sent forward in time by six hours on a shuttlecraft and Mm -hmm. was dazed until things caught up with him. Uh, I believe there was even a first season episode. And I remember reading a behind-the-scenes book on Star Trek where they talked about the fact that Early on, Gene Roddenberry had a a moratorium on time travel, that Mm. they couldn't do time travel episodes in the early seasons of the show um, for fear, I guess, of repeating things that had been done in the original series too much. 
And the original time loop episode was a way out of that. Mm. It was it was deemed so different than because it was time travel, but it kind of wasn't time travel. They weren't going to another historical period. And so they were able to do that one. And this, I think, is a more effective one. This is one of what I think of as the Twilight Zone episodes mm-hmm. of Next Gen, which um, I, I, my wife and I would think of them that way. And it, it's it's like an episode of Twilight Zone in that creepy stuff starts happening and you gradually learn what the explanation is for the creepy phenomena. Mm-hmm. And to my mind, these are some of the best episodes yeah. of Next Gen are the yeah. Twilight Zone episodes. Yeah, in fact, the, the Star Trek grew to love the time loop <laughs> device. Yeah, and in fact, we we recently talked about a Star Trek Voyager episode, uh, Parallax, which was another time, sort of a time loop, almost time loopish um, episode. Uh, well, no, it was, it was a time loop, but they, so they it became overused. But er, this is early enough where these are still they're still finding right. new, fresh ways to approach it, and and where they're enjoyable mysteries. It got so bad that with Voyager that you had the episode Year of Hell, and yes. the, it's like a two-part episode, and they completely reversed the entire episode of the time loop. Everything in it didn't happen. Yes. Exactly. The whole year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the way, that original episode I mentioned is We'll Always Have Paris, and it's mm. the one where they have like the fencing match, and then they realize they've just looped. Which is actually very significant for Star Trek to have, and it happens in this episode too, where people realize that they're looping. Um, mm-hmm. Because that, if we were simply atoms redoing the same motions again, then you wouldn't have any awareness of prior loops. And so the fact right. that people are aware of, of prior timelines they've been in is a signal that human consciousness involves more than merely physical elements. There must be something that transcends the merely physical in order to be aware of previous loops in time. Mm, But they do, they do kind of explain it of, you know, well, there's these Decaon particles, you know, whatever particles these are that are caused, you know, causing some reaction that caused them to recognize the previous loops. Well, it's what's causing the the after images of time, but the mm-hmm. fact, but I don't think it it explains why, like Crusher, the, the awareness, uh, yeah, yeah right. why she why she can knows why she like feel like why she knows that she's about to get a call to come get Jordy. We're kind of jumping ahead of ourselves here a little bit, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is a classic Groundhog Day sort of scenario where you know you're living the day over and over again, as, as from a dramatic standpoint, you know where you're seeing the same day over and over again and right. people's choices begin to affect how that day turns out uh which by the way this came out before the movie groundhog day mm. so just, mm-hmm. just so we're we're all on the same page on that this uh episode by the way was directed by jonathan frakes uh will Riker, uh the character will Riker. so uh interesting there um another interesting behind the scenes uh note is that every loop they film the scenes from new angles uh sometimes mm-hmm filming it new like like having a separate uh run of the scene sometimes just having multiple cameras from different angles in the same take of yeah. the scene so sure. uh, interesting and that helps keep it from getting visually stale and right. one of the things i noticed about jonathan frake's direction in this episode is as we go through the later loops the angles he's filming from get more dramatic so yeah. we start getting more Dutch angles from really weird directions, and we get more shaky cam. 
yeah. uh, to create a sense of unease as we're pulling back, the camera will vibrate or pushing mm-hmm. in the camera will vibrate a little bit uh, to mm-hmm. make us feel like we're more uncertain. Right. Well, I think that was most clear in the uh, conference room scenes where there's one of them where he, it's instead, you know, usually you see the conference room where the, the windows are behind them. Right. And in this one particular scene, they're actually walking be- behind the chairs and the windows towards right. Picard. And it's just, it's right. a very, very different view from anything that they usually do in, in next generation as far as the conference room is concerned. Uh, I, I could just picture Frakes pulling his hair out. Okay. Now what angle can I use? Yeah, can exactly. Above, from above. <laughs> so, uh, the other, another interesting, uh, point casting information so at the end when bateson's you know when and, and kelsey Grammer as captain bateson mm-hmm. when they come through at the end um the first officer who's standing next to him was supposed to be savick played by kirsty alley but mm. they weren't able to pull that off because they were gonna they wanted to have you know uh fraser and rebecca from cheers right. <laughs> sitting together on the bridge and that mm-hmm. would have been a lot of fun but uh too bad they, they couldn't get kirsty alley for this uh so we start with in the teaser for the episode in, as they say, in media res in the middle of the thing. And in, so they're in the middle of an emergency and Picard calls for everyone to abandon ship and the Enterprise explodes. And it's the ultimate, like, dramatic tease to an episode. Like, how could they possibly recover from the Enterprise exploding? Uh, <laughs> they didn't. So, and that was the end of the series. Have a good, yes. have a good day. No. <laughs> Thanks for the series, folks. Just um, like at the end of Red Shirts. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Uh, so then we, after the opening, we come back and the, and Picard is giving his, uh, captain's log and they're crossing, uh, the first Starfleet ship to cross the Typhon Expanse, which I thought was very interesting because in the novels, the Typhon Expanse becomes a very important, uh, setting. Mm. Um, we have the Typhon Pact, which becomes an, an analog to the Warsaw Pact, where you mm. have several, uh, uh, hostile or antagonistic, uh, uh space nations, uh, band together in this common defense pact against the Federation and the Klingons uh, with with the Romulans at the head of it. And uh, so it's interesting little bit here. So were those novels after the published after this episode? Yes. Okay. Yes. These are in, uh, in the last few years, the last uh, okay. five or six years. So it's uh, mm-hmm. so it's interesting that they they continue to play with the development of some of the things that are introduced in the in these uh, mm-hmm. series originally in the TV. I just uh, I thought that was a very interesting little note there for those of you who read the novels. Uh, mm-hmm. So the then we have a scene of uh, some poker playing, and poker playing has become very big on the next gen. It's in fact yeah. the so last this, scene of the series. So so this like confirms what all your fundamentalist relatives taught you that um, you play cards, your ship's going to explode. Cards are bad. <laughs> yes, yes, gambling and playing <laughs> cards is, is is immoral. It'll make your ship explode. So. Now, the first time we saw the Enterprise D crew playing poker was in season two's uh, Measure of a Man, where uh, uh, Data was on trial to prove his sentience. Mm. Uh, so we had Data playing poker and bluffing and all that sort of thing. Uh, we find that uh, Worf is a terrible poker player, at least in this game. Mm. <laughs> he is really bad uh, at uh, hiding his emotions. Uh, but Riker insults Crusher when she wins. Did you notice that? I did. I don't recall that specifically. What I recall is Gates McFadden is really underplaying her acting in yeah. this scene. She's yes. coming across as very. She's the one who's psyching Riker out. She's like bluffing by making herself seem very quiet and uncertain. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And and then she she zings them when she wins. He says it's 
I guess it's better to be lucky than good. I mean, that's, yeah. that's quite no. an insult. <laughs> he just get, comes across really petulant at that point. Like he's really upset that his big bluff didn't work. Well, then she says, Oh, you, you're to- she, you totally have a tell. She, she says to him, it's the way your left eyebrow raises when you're bluffing. And he gets all upset. Like, Oh my gosh. Do I have a tell? <laughs> yeah. no, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was really good. I like the discussion they had about how, you know, about data and shuffling. Um, because right. of course, have you know, having done computer work, you know, randomization by computers is sort of not, not a really thing. randomization. You know, <laughs> yes. computers cannot generate true random numbers, although um, it they is, simulate it. Yeah. It simulates it. it. It's just it's so random enough to make us think it's random. Yeah, right. There are kind of ways by tapping into a physical system, like on you know, on the electrical quantum level, where okay, you yeah. can't really predict exactly what this is going to be. You could generate randomness that way. I remember in the the eighties where they would talk about how you you could get random if you like you pointed a certain type of pulsar or something like that. It could produce help produce a random, and there's there's ways to do it. Um, yeah, I remember at one point that I had a program that it needed to to produce randomness. You had to move the mouse around yeah. uh, mm-hmm. for like 10 seconds. Uh, and that was how it, it, it generated the randomness it required. Right. Yeah. There were even when iPods first came out, you know, they have that shuffle setting, which is supposed mm-hmm. to play your songs in a mm-hmm. random order. And originally it was more random than what people would believe, because if something's truly random, it could play the same song for you three times in a row. Yes. Right. And people didn't perceive it as being sufficiently random, so they made an actually less random system that made it feel more random. Yeah. Right. And, well, of course, that randomness is important to the plot here because later exactly. on when, you know, the the whole stacking the deck, no, the cards are randomized, it turns – that gets turned on its head when the loop is happening and they are they know what's coming next. The cards are not random yeah, uh, because they know what's coming. So, uh, so it's an interesting uh, little point there in the writing. Then uh, Crusher gets called to sickbay because Jordy is experiencing uh, some disorientation uh, his, in his in his vis- in his visor. Um, and uh, and later on, uh, Crusher is the first to experience the the feeling of deja vu, where she feels like have have, have I done this before? Um, and she's in her quarters, and uh, she she is trimming a plant she's getting ready for bed she's having a drink um and then as she gets in bed and turns the lights out then we hear this uh voices. rapid garbled voices yeah and yeah. then she reaches for the lights and knocks over a glass and i'm thinking to myself how many glasses did they have her break in all of the yeah. things that yeah. they did of this scene? i know it's it's like every time we loop she breaks that glass there's and it, they get progressively more creative about it than yes. uh, like one of the final loops the scene, she starts talking to engineering as soon as she hears the voices, and she's getting up to deal with the matter, and the camera is still in engineering, and we hear yep. the glass break over the intercom. Yes. It's like, and, still, that gets broken, yay. Yeah, yeah and then just to hear this vo- her voice, like, I'm fine. Yeah. It's like, really? <laughs> I mean, she even puts it across the room on another table. but this is like me like with my my wife's uh, uh, water glass on her uh, on her bedside table. Like, no matter what, it will always get knocked over, no matter how careful you are about it. <laughs> so she she does hear this uh, uh, multitude of overlapping voices. Uh, she brings it up at the uh, the briefing, the senior staff briefing the next morning, uh, which is interrupted by Worf calling from the bridge. We have a highly localized distortion of the space-time continuum 20,000 kilometers off the bow. 
And yeah. He says there are odd readings 20,000 kilometers off the starboard bow. And I'm sorry, but after the, I guess, 1980s novelty song, Star Trekkin', I cannot hear the phrase starboard bow in connection with <laughs> Star Trek without thinking, there's Klingons off the starboard bow, starboard bow, starboard bow. There's Klingons off the starboard bow, starboard bow, Jim. You know, given that Worf is the one who delivers that line, I wonder if that was intentional. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> so uh, the 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 distortion uh, clears or opens up, and a ship emerges, which uh, we have a variant on the Reliant from Rathacon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not exactly the same model. They have some. They made some changes to the model, and. Uh, Troy they, says we've got to get out of here now. Right. They lose power for some reason and their their thrusters aren't working. And Riker suggests decompressing the main shuttle bay to push them out of the way. Data suggests a tractor beam, which is apparently the one thing that's still working. And Picard yeah. does what Data suggests. And and it makes me wonder, is there a bias in Picard toward data over others, given his given he that is data the is the smartest guy in the room? Yeah. 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 Uh, well, I, I felt like that was the case here. And of course, you know, knowing, you know, um, equal and opposite reaction, all that, you know, with opening the shuttle bay, I think, you know, kind of human reaction to you, well, pushing away from or having something push it away from us has to work better than us than just blowing a us. bunch of air out the shuttle bay. <laughs> right, right, right. That's probably a part of it, too. Um, and, and I have to make a remark about right about uh, Jonathan Frakes' acting in this scene. He's got his leg up on the ops console <laughs> yeah. every take, and like, like, are, are you comfortable, Will? Are you, you know, you, yeah. I, one of the he, things that we know about about the actor John the Freaks is he has a bad back he, from an accident when he was younger, hmm. and that's one of the reasons why he does that weird Riker sit where he throws a leg over a chair, and sometimes why he kind of stands oddly. And I think that must be part of it, but hmm. it just—it's so odd. It also looks kind of cool. Yeah, it, it does kind of look look cool. Uh, so uh, the they don't push the the tractor room doesn't push the other ship away far enough, and it ends up clipping the uh, the starboard nacelle, uh, which causes everything to go haywire. The ship is, explodes, and we have that classic model exploding in a studio shot yep. <laughs> of the mm-hmm. Enterprise exploding. Well, uh, it's funny we, and- we talked about a Doctor Who episode last week where there is that model exploding. We commented about it looked like it was hanging from a string. And yes. I recalled this episode. Yeah. That this is you because you see the scene and, and I thought it was the sausage session, but it's the back end. But you can see the back end of the model just hanging there. <laughs> On the string for a little bit. Yeah. One thing, so by this point, we then we've thus seen the events from the episode teaser play out all over again. So right. now we see the Enterprise blow up just like we did in the teaser. Um one thing that I it took me a few cycles to catch it, but there is an explanation for why. They can't move and why they can't use certain things mm-hmm. on the ship. They explain that in on the dialogue level. It goes by really quickly, but it's the space-time distortion they're encountering that's interfering with their systems. Oh, so okay. that's why stuff conveniently does not work. Right, right. Okay, that makes that makes sense then. And, and that would be what perpetuates the cycle it, itself. Yeah. So on the next loop through, so the, you know that's te- technically that we've we, that was the second loop. Now on the third loop, uh, it's Riker who's the first to voice for uh, foreknowledge of the events. He he knows that Crusher is going to call his bluff in that in mm-hmm. that poker game, um, and then the second time, this next time that we see her examining Jordy, uh, Doctor Crusher, uh, 
Jordy has the deja vu, deja vu two. That's he's not easy to say deja vu two. Um, mm-hmm. Now I have to say, then when Crusher's in her quarters and she knocks over the glass, the acting in this one it was so awkward. Like you could tell mm-hmm. she's trying to knock it over in such a way as to break it and not save it. She's like, "I'm yeah. pushing until it breaks. I'm pushing." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like we should have done a retake of that one, but uh, that that was good. And then, uh, but this time she calls Picard instead uh, right away without waiting until the staff meeting in the morning. Um, and then uh, Picard gives her that famous uh, Adele's warm milk with nutmeg uh, to help her sleep uh, or to calm her down or whatever it is it's supposed to do. That sounds good, actually. Yeah, yeah I know. It's a little nutmeg. And I want to say, I want to find out what else is in uh, Adele's milk. Uh, maybe some rum. So yeah. <laughs> or or in this case, French cognac. What? So Synthol. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, so then we have the, the that loop goes through. Then we have the next loop. Um, and that's where Worf says he experiences. Uh, what was that word again? Nick Paul. Nick Paul, uh, which is the Klingon word for deja vu. And everyone at the table uh, predicts the cards before they're dealt, except for mm-hmm. except for Data, who's not experiencing deja vu because uh, he's a, you know because of the computer aspect. And Crusher, at this point, she predicts that Jordy is coming into sick bay before he shows yeah. up. So this is actually proof of psychic ability because card guessing is uh, is a frequent mm-hmm. test for psychic ability. So Star Trek <laughs> thus establishes both the existence of the soul and psychic ability. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So uh, and, and that this is the point where I actually was thought, thinking this myself about how would this knowledge be passed on from loop to loop, and it, that's what we talked about: is that the the something of us must be beyond the physical space time continuum. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have uh, Crusher uh, being jumpy in her quarters again, and uh, by, she by the way, moved- one note on the uh, so this they by this point they've started talking about Jordy's visor is picking up Dekion fluctuations. Yes, mm-hmm. and that's techno babble. Dekions are not particles we have verified to exist, but this is good techno babble mm-hmm. um, because it fits in with our current scheme for understanding various types of subatomic particles. Um, there are two major types of particles are fermions, mm-hmm. which have a spin of one half or negative a half, things like that. And then there are bosons, which have spins of integers like zero or one. Mm-hmm. And uh, scientists have then generalized that to what are called anions that can have a spin of anything. And so a decion would presumably be a type of boson that has a spin of 10. Hmm. And so that that's actually good technobabble that fits in with our current naming conventions for subatomic particles. Very nice. Good, good job. Andre Borman is probably uh, responsible for that Cut one. That one. He yeah. was the science consultant eventually uh, on uh, Next Gen. Um so when when uh, so they call Picard and they they're talking about uh, he's seeing after blurry after images and that sort of thing and they they run some scans and that's when they they see the Decaion field fluctuation and uh, then we have Crusher in her quarters hearing the voices um, this time she's ready for it she records it um, and she's moved the glass to a table you know a, a coffee table or something far away from her bed uh, but as the she's, doomed glass. <laughs> yeah. Like, why does the glass have to break? That's I'm kind of curious. Like, what is this it's supposed cursed. to signify? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's is it fate or is it destiny? That's the question here. Uh, we have to we have to answer. 
so data analyzes the voices that Crusher has recorded in her quarters, and it's the 1,000 voices of the Enterprise crew overlapping. And of course, data has to extrapolate what everybody is doing, starting with the most embarrassing aspects. Yeah, so this is implausible. Um, He says there are approximately a thousand voices and you've got a six second sample of them. Yes. Really? All thousand people on the Enterprise say something within a six second period. That is totally (laughs) implausible. Now, you might you might think, well, it's an emergency. So, of course, they're all talking about the emergency. But no. Data says there are all these mundane conversations. There's so many conversations of a romantic nature. It's like, what happened? Did someone spike the Enterprise food synthesizers with Adderall so people have become (laughs) incredibly talkative or something? What about all the people who are sleeping because it's not their shift? Exactly. That's right. That's right. Uh, Or just, you know, quietly reading or or what have you. Uh, So uh, Jordy then explains that they're caught in a temporal causality loop and are stuck repeating it over and over again um, and data has his theory about how they ended up there and plays the sound loops of picard ordering uh the ship to be abandoned and uh the wharf suggests okay, here's now here's one uh, an issue i have with the with the writing of this wharf suggests they reverse course to break the loop but Riker says reversing course may have caused the loop but i'm thinking how they'd only reverse the course once they've done the loop once so they can't have mm-hmm. caused the loop it that that wouldn't make any sense, right? No, I think it does. If it could be that we something else caused them. Oh, I see what you mean. But it's still, uh, something could have caused them to reverse course the first time through the loop. Mm-hmm. Like if they keep going in the same direction, they're going to encounter something that will make them reverse course, and that's what triggered the loop the first time. But yeah. that seems like a low order of probability. So. I agree. I think reversing course, even though it wouldn't guarantee you're going to avoid the loop, it would be a good strategy for trying to avoid the loop. Right. But then mm-hmm. Picard comes in with the, we can't start second guessing ourselves now because that, Why not? And there's an element of truth <laughs> to that, but yeah. there's also yeah. an element of not truth to that. Yeah. I mean, by definition, if we're going to try to get out of the loop, we have to start second guessing ourselves <laughs> on exactly. something. Exactly. We have to start changing something to break the loop. Uh, so so anyway, Jordy suggests the the ultimate solution, which is breaking the loop into the next loop. So they're going to set up a special image that will resonate in Data's brain like a post hypnotic message. So in his mm-hmm. positronic brain, uh, and so just as they're both they're gonna they're gonna send information into the next loop. Right, right. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm sorry. That, yeah, I, I misread my note. Uh, so and then they they say that it's only going to be possible for them to send just a couple of characters at most. And it yeah. turns out it's mm-hmm. the number three. And I'm thinking, did you see how fast Data's fingers were moving on that thing with that yeah. on his arm? <laughs> uh, I mean, that's like a, that's longer yeah. than a tweet. I'm saying. Three you can put it up, Yeah. Uh, it's Riker's solution is the best one. Have him decompress the shuttle bay very quickly. Like, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He had time for that. So I don't know. All right. So, but it's not as dramatic. So we'll, we'll, we'll go I, with it. I, I do like to give him props on the writing when they're programming data to get ready to send the information. Um, Jordy says, you know, how do we know we haven't tried this and it failed? And Crusher says, well, do you have the feeling you've done this before? And he says, no. And she says, well, maybe that's a good sign. Mm-hmm. And that is that is a good right. sign. Yep. Right. And then so on the the next loop, which turns out to be the last loop. Uh, they they again want to predict what data is about to uh, deal 
but it turns out he deals all threes and then well, he deals three of a kind. Yeah. So the last thing we see in this loop before we move on to the final uh, one right. where they don't loop, the last thing we see is they're in the emergency. Data looks at at uh, Commander Riker's collar and then his fingers go crazy on the keyboard. He's strapped to his arm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. That's where, the, where he's get, sending the message to the next loop. So uh, we have the three. We have Crusher who breaks the. The, the glass over the intercom, and like we said, I, I thought that was an inspired way of, of continuing that gag, mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. that little beat in the in the series. Um, and then we find out, what does the number three signify? It's Riker's rank pips, which, yeah. that's a pretty tenuous <laughs> message yeah. to send. Um, so they decompress the main shuttle bay and use the tractor beam, by the way. They do both. Yep. And they break the loop, and then Picard says to, to call the uh, the time base, which is 555-1234, five, 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 <laughs> you guys remember that from when you were when you were young, oh, yeah. back in the old days. If you wanted to, for, for you youngins, when you want to know what the what the exact time was and weather, you would yep. call five 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 one two three four on your phone. I don't know if that works anymore. Does it? No. Well, it was it varied depending on location. So we had like in my town in Arkansas, we had a time time number, but it wasn't yep. that. Oh, yeah, okay. Interesting. Same here. When I was uh, in the Air Force, we could call the Air Force, or we had a, a time and weather, time and temp line on on the base. It wasn't okay. that, though. It was something different. I can't remember what it was, but it was something like that. Okay. So, but now everyone has an atomic clock in their in their pocket, so yeah. we don't do that. Yeah. But in the future, they have uh, the Starfleet uh, time base, which is a apparently sends out the, the standard time across the gal- galaxy, across the Federation, which I think is a very interesting idea. Yeah. Network time protocol still exists in the <laughs> yes. 24th century. Exactly. At, at the third stroke, the time will be stardate 5157.25455. Exactly. But, but by the way, for those who don't know, network NTP network time protocol is how your computer keeps its time. Um, yes. Basically, there's there are Internet servers out there. Uh, Colorado Springs, the the uh, the the National Atomic Clock in Colorado Springs is one of them where your computer yep. just goes and says, what time is it? Yep. And that's and how it sets itself for daylight savings time and all that stuff. There's one in Washington, D.C. at the Naval uh, Observatory, and there's, there's a bunch around, and there's ones yep. in other countries. So. so so they call the time number and find out they've been looping for 17.4 days, Yes, which is impressive, but they mention it could have been hundreds, and it would have been so great if they, it's like, we've been out for a year. Yeah, yeah. that would have been, <laughs> that would have been they did, interesting. They did yeah. kind of do that, but for the other ship. Yeah, yeah. Right. The Bozeman. So, right. The so Bozeman. that turns out that the ship coming through is the USS Bozeman, which is Soya's class, which uh, that someone says has not been in service for over 80 years. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we have on the screen, wearing the old uh, Rathacon era uh, yep. uniforms, yep. Uh, Captain Bateson, played by Kelsey Frazier. Yeah. Frazier tells them that for him it's 2278. Right. The TNG yeah. date, they, they don't say it in the episode, but the next generation date is 2368 so 90 years have passed that's how long right. have they been uh, they've been in their loop and uh so um very well, interesting. i don't I, it's not really so much they've been in a loop that much time i don't think i think it's they jumped forward and it caused a 17 day loop mm, i guess that's possible they went through a space-time distortion and cause a, oh i guess i guess so yeah yeah now, that's how although I they, it although anyway. they did although okay. they did say that according to uh the crew of the Bozeman that the Enterprise appeared in front of them, right? You know, From there, you know, yeah. so it wasn't like they saw something and then you know they went, they saw this distortion, and all of a sudden yeah. there was the Enterprise. It was just all of a sudden the Enterprise appeared in front of yeah. them. 
But oh. if if I think it's the interaction of the two ships, one yeah. has to go through time to cause the loop. Without that um, interaction Correct. between the two ships, True. the loop doesn't True. happen. So it seems to me there was a pre-existing time time gate here that mm-hmm. one of mm-hmm. them, seemingly the Bozeman, went through and then triggered this seventeen-day loop. Yep. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. So uh, interesting about the the Captain Bateson and the Bozeman. There, in fact, um, is uh, at least one next gen. Speaking of novels, uh, next generation novel uh, mm-hmm. era novel called Ships of the Line, which follows yep. the 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 Bozeman uh, and Captain Bateson and tells a story about them, which I thought was very interesting. That oh. uh, if if people are interested, it's called Ships Ships of the Line. So well, it I, also I think, um, yep. the Bozeman shows up one more time in on screen. But not on the small screen, but on the big screen. It was yeah. at the Battle of uh, Sector 001 in the movie First Contact. Oh, mm. man. That, uh, that Hopefully they've upgraded the system. They've upgraded yeah. quite a bit. <laughs> um, there was a YouTube video I, 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 I found, a guy named Cer- Certifiably In-Game. And his oh, focus yeah. Is, I've is, seen uh, his videos. Yeah. He, he does a good job, but his focus is more of you know taking the Star Beta Trek canon. canon going into Star Trek Online. Yeah, um, interesting. But he talks about how Morgan Bates and I think this is in the, sh- the book Ship of the Line, I think is the way he put it, is yeah. he worked on the Sovereign class and then he was going to get captain of the first Sovereign class, the Honorius. However, that was the ship that became the Enterprise E. Oh, But right. he did eventually be- get another Sovereign class that they named the Bozeman. So he oh, got okay. another Bozeman, the Sovereign class version as right. captain, which, by the way, Go Bozeman, Bozeman, Montana. <laughs> Bozeman, uh, yeah, yes, that's right, yeah. hometown. Site of first contact. Yeah, so yep. it was written by Diane Carey. The book was Diane Carey and came out uh, 1997. So it's been, uh, it's been, it was out a while. I don't even know if it's still in print, but uh, if you, you can probably, find a I copy. think you can get a lot of these like in Kindle format too. Yeah. nothing else. That's true. That's true. So, uh, anything else? Any other notes on this episode, guys? Uh, Father Corey, do you have any Just more? One, one small thing. I, I, I kind of chuckled when. They asked Data to do pattern matching, a pattern matching algorithm on the number three. And I thought, okay, so if this was, if you did that on Google, would it be 10 to the 333rd results found? <laughs> yes, 10 to the th- 333rd. Yes. Uh, that's good. Uh, Jimmy, how about you? So uh, just a few brief notes. Um, so in the final cycle where they don't loop again, Data is encountering threes in the card game. They all, even though they think they know what the cards are going to be, they're wrong this time. It's all mm-hmm. threes. Um, they then, as Data is typing on a keyboard in engineering, he gets a string of all threes, mm-hmm. just hundreds of them. Um, and at one point, he says kind of nonchalantly that in the last few hours, I've anomalously encountered the number of three thousands of times or something. And it's like, you think you might want to report that before now? <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> it, the the message of three is, as you said, Dom, it's it's not really a good, believable message. I understand that there are communication systems where you can only send through a very limited amount of data, like ELF communications, extremely low frequency, where you were only extremely long wavelengths can get through seawater. So you can mm-hmm. only send like a couple of letters as a code to submarines and stuff that I buy. But um, if you can send a word, it should have been Riker. And mm-hmm. if you can, the three as connecting that to the three pips on his, on his collar is strikes me as very implausible. If I were 
it, we've just had Riker propose a solution and data propose a solution. And if the number three is the guiding piece of information, it would tell me seek a third solution. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so, the th- but you know, you can headcanon that and say, well, data is not a human. It's, so for whatever reason, the three pips was more meaningful to him than it would well, be to a normal person. And if you want to get pedantic, Data has three pips on his. One of them is just black instead of shiny. Yeah. Because he's lieutenant true. commander. Yep. Um, in the, I like the, I really like the way they keep the episode visually interesting by showing us not only are they, are, as, are they using different angles, the angles do become much more extreme, like the final time through when Geordi's in sick bay, we get this shot looking up at the ceiling, like up his and Dr. Crusher's noses, um, which is very different than what mm-hmm. we've seen before. We also start seeing new footage of the same events in like we see, for example, uh, we mentioned the glass getting broken over the intercom while the cameras in engineering. That's new. We haven't seen that. Also, we get to see Picard reading his book yep. mm-hmm. before Beverly calls him. That's new. What really sells this, though, is the acting, the yeah. acting of the performers as they go through and read their lines differently. Yep. Um, and they change it with each iteration. Mm-hmm. It, that is what really sells it is the believable acting that this is just something really creepy going on here. And it's unnerving. Yes. Yes. Uh, and again, one of the, one of the better, better known and one of the better episodes of next gen. Uh, Absolutely. So a lot of fun. Uh, so we do have a bit of feedback before we wrap things up t- today. Uh, we have some feedback on our wrath of Khan discussion. We're speaking of wrath of Khan. Uh, Ronnie Lunn uh, sent us a message on Facebook who says, uh, hey, folks, I've been recently been reading the trilogy by Greg Cox that deals with the life of Khan. And I'm currently in the th- third book, Terrain in Hell, which takes place between Space Seed and Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, the Space Seed, the original series episode. The earlier books really flesh out Khan's character, but the third book deals with a lot of the problems you mentioned. There are there are underground tunnels where they live and farm. Uh, the Khan meeting Chekhov for the first time is in there, too. Lieutenant MacGyvers, who is Khan's wife, mentions that she thinks the crew must age slower due to their engineering and uh, genetic engineering. And it also mentions that the Starfleet insignia that Khan wears around his neck is in remembrance of his wife, which I think I, I think mm. it was actually the novelization of uh, Wrath of Khan as well. Uh, and then he says, a really great series. I love the novels that take place outside what we see in the regular series. And I recommend anything by Cox, especially Child of Two Worlds, which deals with the Pike Enterprise crew, which I pictured Anson Mount as in my head. Uh, which, oh, yeah. What more proof do we need that we need an Anson Mount as Pike series? I will lead this crusade. That we need a Pike yeah. series starring mm-hmm. Anson Mount. That well, is, I'm I on just, top of that one. <laughs> I just, you know, heard there's more rumors going around that he is yep. interested in doing it. It is just a matter of the right amount of money and his schedule being open to do it. I mean, awesome. And we know that one of the upcoming short treks stars the actors for um, Spock and um, number, one. Uh, number one. Number and one. if they're there, we may get Anson Mount as Pike as well in that episode. Yes, yeah. yes. So Speak, it's it's looking yeah. more more and more of a strong possibility that we could actually have a Pike series at some point in the future. Maybe not in the next year or two, but it's yep. There's yeah. a possibility. That'd Something awesome. the fans actually want for a change. <laughs> I know. Uh, but Spock needs to have the beard again. I just the shaved version isn't working for me. Yes, but Spock <laughs> has to have a beard. Uh, so uh, just to add, I'll, I'll get right back to Ronnie's comment. But first, I want to mention: speaking of TV series, 
Um, we do have a new showrunner for the Picard series, Michael Chabon. Mm-hmm. Chabon? 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 He's the... Chabon? I think that's what it is. He's a uh, Pulitzer Prize winning novelist uh, who also wrote... He's written some science fiction, sort of like you know Neil Gaiman and uh, Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. But he, he uh, Michael Chabon, wrote uh, Calypso, the short trek from last okay. season. Oh, yeah. So he's going to be one. running the Picard series. I've read a book by him, uh, one of his novels, which was really good. Um, nice. Uh, so I'm I'm hopeful with that. But as far as Ronnie's comic goes, I I I, I like I've long been in love with the Star Trek novels that kind of expand the Star Trek universe. So I agree. Um, I I think I'll have to put the the uh, the the con. I almost said Genghis Khan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Khan Nunez yeah. thing uh, novels on my list of to be read because it, it and, does sound interesting. I'd like to see that expanded a bit. And and I, I do believe, like I said, they they a lot of the novels, if not pretty much most of them are available on kindle format yes yes uh, so if, if you weren't able to get them they may not have the text-to-speech function enabled unfortunately right. with some of them right, right right it's like either put them out in audiobook or enable that text-to-speech one or the other i don't care but i want to hear this <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly all right so uh, thank you ronnie for your feedback uh we'd like to take a moment before we finish to th- thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Trevor W., Jason H., Tim D., Father Brian, and Stephanie L., their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So what did you think of Cause and Effect, this Next Generation episode? Did you like it like we did? Uh, what, are the, what, are, what other things did we miss? Let us know by visiting sqpn.com slash Trek or the SQPN Facebook page and leaving some feedback or send us an email to Trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing a comparison of Deep Space Nine and Babylon 5. And this is one that uh, Father Corey and Jimmy are going to be doing together. Mm -hmm. Uh, I won't be available for that, but uh, I trust that they will have something interesting to say. And I'll be uh, looking forward to hearing that as well. So until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thanks, Dom, and live long and prosper. Father Corey Stiga, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, it's better to be lucky than good. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to the secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings.